Ruth chapter 2. Once again, good morning, everyone. We are working our way through this incredible Old Testament book of Ruth. If you're trying to find it, it's the eighth book in the Bible. And as we work our way through this historic narrative, we learn about the hope that God brings to the world. And we learn that by watching how God brought hope to and through a woman named Ruth. And in this passage, we see how this hope from God actually shapes the character of those who trust in him. This is a massive topic for us. Let me read the text and we'll pray together. Ruth chapter two, verses one to 12. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told about all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland to come and live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Fathers, we open your word. Would you open our hearts this morning and teach us about character? Teach us how we are to reflect your character in this community and in this world and show us that that can only truly happen by the power of your Holy Spirit as we trust in Christ. Pray that you'd remove any attributes that should not be in us and among us and replace them to the ones that ought to be. And for anyone here who joining us online does not yet know you, we pray that today they would come to know you and be changed forever as they believe in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, it's a strange question, but with an important point. What do a job interview and a funeral have in common? 
Well, both of them involve a summary of your life, but from two very different perspectives. And understanding that difference will actually change the way that we live. The author, New York Times uh, writer David Brooks, describes the differences as living for your resume virtues or living for what he calls the eulogy virtues. The resume virtues are about the skills that you bring to a job, the achievements that you have accomplished, the status that you have gained, the career you have built, the diplomas and degrees that you have earned. Those are the resume virtues. But the eulogy virtues are the ones that are talked about at your funeral. Because chances are on that day, most people will not say, well, they got their degree in this, she graduated from such and such. Hopefully they say things like, she was brave, she was kind, she was faithful, he was honest, he was sincere. These are the eulogy virtues. These are about character. And we'd all say that character is the most important, but do we live that out in our lives? Is it our focus? See, here's my concern, friends. Even in the church, we have a habit of valuing gifting over character. And sadly, this leads to a gap between what we claim to believe and how we actually behave. We see this happen often in the headlines of, of the broader church culture. We'll hear of a, a gifted leader or a gifted preacher, and they were so good at what they did, and yet it turns out there were major character issues that perhaps led to a downfall. We've heard it a lot in the last year. There was a gap between what they claimed to believe and how they behave. See, in the beginning, oftentimes we, we focus a lot on the character issues, but as time goes on and they develop their skills and their gifts or, or abilities, sometimes we turn a blind eye to the more obvious character issues that need work if left unchecked. Now, I'll be honest, I'm really grateful that God has brought a lot of wonderful people into my life to keep me in check, regardless of how well I'm doing in the area of gifting, they keep me in check in terms of my character, not the least of which is my incredible wife. Now, a few years ago, halfway through our kind of church planning stress of planting in, in London, everything was so hard. I was going a million miles an hour and some like, you know, flaws in my heart were beginning to show underneath all the stress. And we had this opportunity to go to Hawaii to help with the reality Honolulu prayer tour. And we had this opportunity to leave our kids in California. We flew, flew from England, left our kids with the in-laws in California. We go out to Honolulu a few days earlier, and this is amazing. And my wife and I were just sitting there a few days without the kids before the prayer tour, poolside. You know, it was like a nice 78 degrees, and like the palm trees were blowing in the wind. We ordered some food, and I was like, yes. And my wife leans over, and she says, well, now that we're alone, I just wanted to take this opportunity to address some character issues in your life. I was like, what? No, no, we're in Hawaii. Like, no character issues, okay? Like, I'm just gonna have my food poolside. But because my wife's a godly woman, led by the Spirit, and she loves me, she addressed these issues. And oftentimes... They need to be addressed in our lives. And when you learn to read the Bible, you learn very quickly 
how highly God values character. So this morning, friends, if you are a Christian, I want to remind us today from this passage of what godly character looks like and why it is so important. If you're joining us this morning and you're not yet a Christian, you're exploring Christian faith, I want you to know that the character that you need is not something that you can ever form on your own. This is important. But the good news for everyone is that the character we need comes from the hope that we have in Jesus Christ in every area of life. Because here's what God wants, from friendship to romantic relationships, from community to work, the people of God are to represent the character of God by the power of the Spirit of God. And one of the great descriptions of good character is found in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth, as we've learned, is an ancient historical account of how an outsider, this woman named Ruth, became included in the story of God, even being included in the family line that would lead to Jesus Christ. That's why this book is in the Bible. And along the way, there are multiple expressions we see of good character. We see it first in this woman named Ruth. We saw that in chapter one. But beginning in chapter two, we also see it in a man named Boaz who will eventually marry Ruth and continue the family line. Yes, there is a bit of romance, but that is not the main point of the story. If you're familiar with the book of Ruth, oftentimes we go there first, but that's not the only point or the main point. What is interesting about the way that this story is told is the emphasis. For example, nothing is said about their appearance. The focus is on their character, their words, their behavior, their treatment of each other, their treatment of the people around them. So I want us to think about this. Why is character important? What does good character look like and where does it come from? First of all, in Ruth chapter 2, we see the need for character. And we see that in the first three verses. Widowed, destitute, poor, and vulnerable, Naomi, this Israelite woman, she hears that food has arrived in her homeland after a time of famine. And we learn in chapter one that she makes this decision to return to Israel. But here's the catch. The availability of food does not necessarily or automatically mean that she has access to it. And verse 1 tells us where her best chances would lie. In a relative of Naomi's deceased husband, Boaz, who is called, notice in verse 1, a worthy man. A man of standing, we learn in this chapter. It says, now Naomi, verse 1, had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing, speaking of his character, the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. The fact that the word standing or worthy, as some translations say, and would focus on reputation highlights the importance of the need for godly character. Now, the narrator puts this man Boaz on our radar, but at this point, Boaz is not yet on their radar. For all they know, their best option is to just go out into the fields of Israel into any field and just begin to pick up the leftover grains of the harvest. And that's what happens in verse two. Ruth the Moabite says to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Friends, here's the point. Ruth and Naomi's experience 
would depend to a large degree on the character of the Israelite community. Why? Because Naomi was an Israelite, but she had left for the land of Moab, the historic enemy of Israel. She might have been viewed as damaged goods when she came back into Israel. And then there's her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who was a Moabite. She's an outsider from a country that historically rejected the God of Israel. So how would they be treated? There's so much application for us. And I want you to think about it in this way. Imagine if God brought a harvest of new believers into Reality Ventura in the next few months. Wouldn't that be amazing? It'd be incredible. It'd be awesome. And we want to believe and ask God to do that. But the question is, what kind of experience will they have once they arrive? How will those men and women be treated in Reality Ventura? What kind of people will we be to them? I highlight this because sadly, a lot of issues that people have with the church are not only about beliefs, but often about behavior, about the character of those who claim what they believe. The experience people will have among us and in our groups will not only come down to what we claim to believe, but also how we behave. If we truly have the hope that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then people should see that reflected, the fruit of that hope in our character. And it matters. I was reminded this week of the words of Jesus who said in John chapter 13, by this, all the world will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. The legacy of the church should be the love that we have for one another. One of the greatest testimonies and witnesses of the church should be the love that we show to one another. How we reflect what we believe in how we behave. And this story highlights this. The survival of these widows would depend in part on the character of the community. Yes, God would provide for them. But how would God provide? God would choose to provide through the choices of his people. And thankfully, God is at work behind the scenes orchestrating Naomi and Ruth's restoration and provision by directing them to someone who shows godly character. Look at verse three. So she went out, she entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. And as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. We see the need for character, that people's experience, if they come to explore Christian faith or know about God, or if they become saved, their experience that they have within the community is going to come down in a large part to the way that we behave, how we treat them. So what does that look like? Well, we focused on Ruth's character in chapter 1, and now here we focus on Boaz's character, and that leads to the second point. First, we need to see the need for character, but secondly... We need to see the marks of character. What does good character look like? And I love this because in verses four through 10, we're given a picture, a snapshot, a portrait. Boaz was no random person. He was a relative of Naomi. We are told twice in the first four verses that he was from the clan of Elimelech, an important detail for later. But here, I want us to see that his character and Ruth's character 
can become a model for our character. So what does godly character look like? What are some of the marks that we, would, that we should seek to cultivate in our lives? I want to point out three. Integrity, generosity, and dignity. We see all three in this picture here. The first is integrity. This is what integrity means. It means that there's not a gap between what you claim to believe and how you behave. And oftentimes this gap, as we all know, it exists. And sometimes it exists in the workplace of all places. But not so with Boaz. Notice, think about it like this. Boaz is a business owner. He's a land owner. He has these employees. He has these workers. But notice how he integrates his faith with his work. In fact, I love the scene. It's almost, in my mind, it's like a musical. Boaz comes out and he's like, the Lord be with you. And they're like, and also with you. And, you know, I just, that's just me. Anyway, I love that he's, he's integrating his faith with his work and how he treats his employees, how he runs his business. He integrates his faith with his work. How do we know that? By looking at what the law of God says to people in his position. Let me read this to you. Earlier in the Bible, in the book of Deuteronomy, which sets out the instructions for how the people of Israel were to live, we learn some of those specific instructions to a person like Boaz. And it says this, when you are harvesting in your field, Deuteronomy 24, and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the stranger. Leave it for the fatherless. Leave it for the widow so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. So here's Boaz. He's reading the law of God. And he says, I'm a business owner. But the, the, the law of God says that I should, I should be leaving out extra food for those who are in need, specifically the fatherless, the widow, the foreigner. And I love that this is in the Bible because this was one of God's social assistance programs to help the poor and the needy in a world where nothing like that existed in the ancient world. Anything dropped or left standing by the harvesters was to remain for those in need. Here's the point. These laws were given by God, but they needed to be applied by humans. So the question we're meant to ask here is, Will somebody follow the law of God? Will they do what the Bible actually said so that these widows can be cared for? Well, the resounding answer is yes. Look at verses four through seven. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. Musical. They answered, Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. This is incredible because knowing their boss, these employees, they knew that their boss would agree to allowing these sheaves to be left over for those in need. They, they knew his character. They knew how he ran his business. They had not chased her away. They knew his character and they saw her character. She was hardworking and determined. And I want you to notice that this integrity Closing the gap between belief and behavior comes from knowing God's word and asking for the Holy Spirit to help you apply it. This is massive. This is why we, we gather on a Sunday and study the word of God. It's why in our community groups every week, we dive in to the word of God and seek to understand and apply it together so that we can reflect the character of God. This is integrity, but it goes farther than that. That's the next mark of godly character, generosity. Generosity. 
Boaz goes beyond the basic requirement. A technical fulfillment of the instructions that I just read to you in the book of Deuteronomy would be leave the sheaves and that's it. Leave out the grain. But notice, Boaz goes beyond the law. He ensures that Ruth is going to get more than she needs. And he connects her to the other women who work in the field. And so he says in verse 8, Do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but stay close to my young women. He begins to go above and beyond, which is an important lesson, I know, for me, because for, for some of us, we think everything is fine so long as we did the bare minimum. You're like, hey, I didn't kill anyone today. You're like, oh, oh, oh wow, what a strange thing to say. Like, okay, well, that's technically like gets you at zero. <laughs> like we just kind of check the box. Well, I haven't caused anyone trouble in the church. Okay, yay. <laughs> what else? <laughs> Good character, according to the Bible, isn't just looking to check the box. It goes beyond the basic requirements. It shows generosity. Are we cultivating generosity in our character? Are we cultivating that characteristic in our church? Which then leads to the third, which is dignity. He showed dignity in his character. And this is very important. Boaz does not take advantage of Ruth. In this situation, Boaz has wealth, property, and power. And yet he does not exploit his workers and he does not exploit Ruth. Look at verse nine. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. This is so powerful. He treats Ruth, this woman in need, with dignity. In fact, four times her protection is alluded to in this text. His concern is for her welfare and her protection. Some commentators, uh, uh, commentators actually say that he instituted the first anti-sexual harassment policy. I love that. He does not take advantage of this woman. He rather seeks her welfare the application is obvious for us. It is so important that we cultivate dignity in our character, that we honor other people, and that we do not violate them. Without dignity, what happens? Without dignity, we can become consumers of people or even worse, exploitive or even predatorial. And it should not happen in the church of God. The New Testament says that in the church, we are to treat one another with respect and honor. This is how we protect. This means no exploitation, no taking advantage of, no racism, no predatorial behavior. These are sinful attitudes and actions that Jesus came to save us from. Good character actually goes in the opposite direction. Good character is not about what you want from people, it's about what you want for people. Good character is not about showing up to a community saying, what can I take out of these people, but rather, how can I bless these people? 
Oh, may that be the case with me. May that be the case with us. May that be the case with our church community. We need to ask ourselves, are we seeking and aiming to cultivate integrity and generosity and dignity within our church? I hope so. May this be true of us. And we may then have to ask the question, well, how does this happen? Maybe some of us realize there is a gap in my character. I haven't been treating people the way that I should. Or I want to know how to do that. Well, this passage also reveals, lastly, the source of our character. We need to see the need for character, the marks of godly character. But lastly, where does this come from? We need to see the source of our character. And I love this. Ruth, we're reminded through the story, she's a foreigner. She's from Moab, the historic enemy of Israel. She was not entitled to the blessings of God's people. And yet, Boaz, who's in Israel representing God, shows her kindness. But it was not based on her ethnic background, nor was it based on her social status, nor was it based on her achievement. Look at verse 10. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground and she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? See, most groups where you're treated well, you usually get into them based on your achievement, how well you've performed or your background, your heritage, your family, your neighborhood, whatever. But not so with God's family. And this radically shapes your character. See, if you only think that people are only worthy of your kindness if they earn it, then you're gonna look down on other people when you think they don't earn it or when they don't deserve it. Oh, I'm gonna withhold kindness and good character from them because I think I'm pretty much better than them. Because many of the groups that we function in in life are based on like how well we worked to like get in that little group. But not so in the community of God. Why did Boaz show kindness to Ruth? Well, first he he remarks on her character in verse 11. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and your mother and your homeland to come and live with a people you did not know before. But for Boaz, Ruth's character displayed in the kindness she showed to her mother-in-law was actually a reflection of something deeper and he acknowledges it in this passage. And so the final verse in our passage reveals both the source of Ruth's character and Boaz's character, and it is God. Verse 12, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Where did Boaz learn to treat people? Who was his teacher? God. God was his teacher. Because God said, I am going to be a refuge for broken people. Ruth heard about this God and she sought refuge in him. That's where she gets her character. And Boaz knows this God of refuge and that is what directed his character. That's how he was able to reflect him. Boaz understood God to be a missionary God, opening his arms to the outsider. And what a beautiful phrase, the refuge. Friends, isn't that wonderful? God is a refuge He's a refuge from what we fear. He's a refuge from the judgment that we deserve. He's a refuge from this broken world. And godly character 
reflects that refuge. What a vision for the church, that this would be a community of refuge. But note, this isn't like a little bubble. Church isn't just a place where you're like, oh, I get to escape that worldly place and spend an hour and a half in a parking lot, you know, where everything is perfect. Listen, Reality Ventura should not be a refuge from Ventura County. It should be a refuge for Ventura County. This is not like an escapist place where we come together and sing songs and put our head and bury it in the sand. We're not a refuge from Ventura County. We are to be a refuge for Ventura County because Jesus Christ has blown open the doors for anyone and everyone to get saved and to come to know him. And so we're saying, come, come, learn about Jesus. Put your trust in him. Experience the power of the Holy Spirit. This is to be a refuge. And grace reminds us of this. Boaz, even though he was an Israelite, he knew that he couldn't brag about being one of God's people. Because it also said in Deuteronomy, God said to Israel, it is not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. My translation, it wasn't about what was in you, it was about what was in God that you had been chosen. So friends, hear this, growth in our character comes from the grace of God. And any student of the Bible will see Jesus and his relationship with us in this story. Because we, like Ruth, are the outsider. We've all sinned against God with no claim on him, no claim on eternal life. Doomed to eternal separation from him if it was left to us. But God has acted in love. He has provided a refuge for us based on grace and how Ruth responds to the generosity of Boaz is a model for how we respond to the generosity of God shown to us in providing a refuge through Jesus. Because Jesus, more than Boaz and more than Ruth ever could, Jesus has looked out for all of our greatest and truest needs. At the expense of his own life, he came to live and to die on a cross in our place to pay the price for sin so that we could be forgiven and provided with eternal security and restoration. Like a refuge, Jesus saves us from the ultimate danger, which is the penalty of our sin. That's what a refuge is. You come in and you are protected. You are safe. It means trusting in Jesus. We are safe from the penalty that our sin deserves. And notice that Jesus went beyond the requirement of the law. Because through Jesus, not only are we not given what we do deserve, more than that, we're also given what we don't deserve. We're not only forgiven of our sins, we are adopted, we are accepted forever, and all of this is based on grace. And we respond like Ruth. She looked away from her poverty and towards the riches of the one who showed her grace. She did not look to her past. She did not beat herself up. She did not try to make herself worthy. She rested in the promise of God. Know this, whether you've been a Christian for many years or you're not yet a Christian, listen, friends. Good character is not the reason for your salvation. Good character is the result of your salvation. Right, the lesson today is not, oh, I'm gonna try to produce a bunch of good character and God's like, well, yeah, if you've reached the bar of 10, I will then accept you into my kingdom. 
Good character is not the reason for your salvation. Good character is the result of salvation. You put your trust in him and he changes you from the inside out. The grace of God produces growth in our character. So I'm inviting us today to reflect on how God has treated you, what he has done for you, how he has blessed you, how he is patient with you, how he forgives you and restores you. For it is his desire to remove the character issues that should not be here. And we can confess them today. And he produces the ones he desires to see in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. These truths are how the Spirit brings about the fruit of character in your life. So if you're not yet a Christian today, I invite you to put your faith and your trust in Jesus. He is the only refuge you will ever find in this world from the danger that you should fear the most, which is the judgment of sin and eternal separation from God in hell. The good news for you, friend, if that's you, he's provided a refuge in Jesus. Trust in him today. Say, Jesus, save me. Whether you're here or you're joining us online, just say right now from your heart, Jesus, save me. I believe you died on a cross and rose again on the third day to give me new life. You are my refuge. And if you are a Christian, friends, this is the great thing. We can confess our need and we can receive his grace. There's no shame today in confessing our sin, confessing the character issues that the Holy Spirit is revealing because in his love, he reveals in order to heal. What we must do is come under the refuge of God, which means stop trying to justify yourselves or turn a blind eye and just receive his forgiveness and his grace. He heals the sins and flaws of our character and gives you the power you need to grow in your character. That's why he's our refuge He's our rest. He's our help. He's our hope. Let's run to him. Amen? Heavenly Father, this morning, the best that we know how, we run to you as our refuge. We run to you as our shelter. I do pray for those men and women who are here joining us if they have not yet believed that right now that they would believe, that they would trust in you, that they would say, Jesus, save me, that they would make that decision to make you, Lord Jesus, their savior and ask you to forgive them of their sin and accept them forever. I pray right now that those men and women would make you their refuge. And for us as a church, I pray that your Holy Spirit would expose where perhaps whatever our blind spots have hidden the character issues that you want to address and identify. Knowing that you do not do so to condemn us. You do not do so to shame us. You do not do so to separate us from you. You do not do so to push us away, but it's all the opposite. You reveal these issues because you want to draw us near. You reveal these issues because you want to heal us. You reveal these issues because you want to grow us. You want to empower us. You want to guide us. You want to lead us. You want to produce fruit through us. So I pray that we would experience this time of response as a safe place because of Jesus Christ, as a refuge because of Jesus Christ, as a place where we can confess freely and say, God, forgive me of these sins, heal me of these issues and produce fruit in me and through me and may we find freedom as a result. For we remember it is by grace that we are saved. And we thank you for that grace that is in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.
Friends, this time is, is sacred, not because the parking lot is sacred or the YouTube link is sacred. It's because the presence of Jesus is with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not a time where we just go on our phones and just think about all the rest of the tasks of the day. It's a time where we allow the Spirit to minister to us. If you need prayer for anything, there are men and women to my right, to my left. They've got the, the T-shirts. There's the prayer team signs there. I invite you to stand up, be brave, and to come and ask for greater fruit of the Spirit in your marriage, in your friendships, in your workplace, to abound. Ask for the miraculous today. It's a time of restoration. You can go to the welcome tents and grab the communion elements and take the bread and drink the cup, remembering what Jesus Christ has done for you and why he is your refuge. And as we sing together, friends, let us sing of his grace, glory in it, revel in it, and allow him to change us as a result. Let's do that now.